The ovation you hear right now is for Clay Thompson. He walked down the tunnel and said, no, I'm not going to the locker room. This is game six of the NBA Finals. I'm going to turn around, walk under his own power, got back to the free throw line. This is the Golden State Warriors podcast. And now your host, the voice of the Warriors, at Warriors Vox, Tim Roy. Happy New Year for the Warriors podcast. I'm Tim Roy. We're going to look ahead on this podcast. We're going to look behind on this podcast as Golden State continues to roll. No matter their lineups, no matter the situation, the Warriors continue to rack up victories. And they're right in the middle of a stretch where seven of nine games are on the road. So, again, the tests continue for Golden State, but they're getting healthier, getting players out of COVID protocols, and getting them back on the basketball floor. And one player we really want to see on the basketball floor is Clay Thompson. You can be a casual NBA fan, and you know about the journey that Clay has gone through over the last couple of years. And with his season debut getting close, I thought it was a good time to sit down with Clay. So we chatted in Salt Lake City, and I hope you enjoy that conversation. And then something we took from Warriors Radio, something we used to do on the Warriors Roundtable, is look back at some of those who have left us in the year 2021 and their impact on the game of basketball, not only in the NBA, but in the Bay Area as well. Personally, I always think it's important that we do this because I don't think you can understand where the game is today without knowing who has gone before and what their contributions were. So we hope you enjoy that. That's coming your way. But first up, without further ado, I know you want to hear from Clay Thompson. Here is my conversation with Clay from Salt Lake City. So I, you know, I don't even know where to begin uh, with you right now, big. But just tell me where you're at on this part of your journey back to the floor. You know, mm. being so close. You said it. I'm so close. Um, should be out there in the next coming weeks, and it's very exciting. And um, I have a lot of nerves and anxiousness going up to that moment, but. I'm not going to suppress those because that's just natural when you haven't done something you love in so long. Have you played that moment coming back on the floor in your mind? Yeah, I visualized it because I want to be prepared. Um, obviously, I have high standards for myself. I want to play well. And uh, I just want to be ready for that night. Um, it's been a lot of work up to this point and um, just very grateful to be here. It's uh I've learned a lot of things in the last couple of years from just being having to watch. What have you learned? I've learned that, you know, you can make a plan, but it can be altered in, in a moment, just a snap of the fingers, and you got to go down a different pathway. And that happened to me twice. And I just learned how uh, lucky we are to do what we do, as well as having great health while doing it. Um, I'm not the first athlete to go through this, so I leaned on a lot of past players who were greats, Hall of Famers who went through the same situation, and I just learned that um, it's all how you approach every day. It's not looking too distant in the future and just just embracing this process because uh, I know it's made me stronger with, uh, I don't know how it's made me stronger, but I know it has. It's a weird feeling. Have you have you discovered that you're tougher than you thought? Uh, yeah, I've discovered that the playing basketball part is easy. It's a lot of fun. It's uh, it can be exhausting. It can be tiring. It can be hard. 
with the scrutiny from the media or the fans, but that stuff is easy. The hard stuff is the preparation. It's the little decisions you have to make every day with not eating that, not staying up too late, doing the most tedious of exercises, and staying patient. That's the hard part of the, of the job. When you've been scrimmaging now for a while, but you got to scrimmage with the first team recently, uh, that had to be a lot of fun. Oh, so much fun to be out there with Steph, Wiggs, Loon, and Dre. Um, it was, it worked out. So we canceled the game, but I was able to get some great running with those guys. And I've had, been able to do that in literally years. So that felt really good. And it kind of gave me a preview of what's to come. And I had so much fun doing that. And um, I look forward to doing that very, very soon in real action. How excited are you to come back to a team that is playing like warrior yeah. teams of the past and looks looks that way? It makes my job so much easier. These guys have, I've seen the work, you know, especially from our young guys, Steph and Dre, bringing Andre back, Loon. We have such a good mix of veterans, of champions, and a great batch of young talent who's going to carry on the torch for a long time. And these guys put in the work every single day. We made great acquisitions as far as role players this past off season. And it makes my life so much easier coming back to a winning team, not having to shoulder the load when I get back, but just kind of immerse myself in the offense and be a great defender again. And it's also inspired me every day to keep working because I don't want to let these guys down when I come back. We have big goals, we have championship aspirations. So I am very grateful for, the <clears throat> for their work not only this season, but the past few years. When you finally get the, the go-ahead and it's going to be on a certain night, uh, will your family come up and watch? Will you, will you invite family and friends to watch that? Definitely. Um, you know, I don't want to make too big a deal out of it because in a, the, in a d couple of days after, we got another game on the road. But it will be an uh, event for me for sure. Just because it's harder than any championship I ever had to win or any gold medal game I ever had to play in. Um, having to go through two long, long, grueling rehabs, and uh, that was hard. But um, like I said before, it made me very mentally strong, and it just adds to the, to the story that I'm going to have when my career is over. What was the hardest part? Um, being immobilized and having to watch and at times you're feeling very helpless. Um, and then when you feel helpless, you, you doubt yourself like, gosh, will I ever be the same player again? Will, will I be able to jump as high? Will I be, be able to cut as hard, sprint as fast as I want? And as time goes on and as the work gets a little easier and you feel more free in your body, those thoughts kind of evaporate and it's just basketball again. So now that I'm in my 30s, the preparation looks a little different than it was 10 years ago. It's a lot more. Uh, being conscious about what I eat, about getting my sleep, stretching, and this, the preparation is key at this point in my career. And um, that, But that was the hardest part, was just having to watch and at times feel helpless when your guys are playing so hard and going through the trials of a, of a season. Are you looking forward to playing? With, <clears throat> we know you can play with Steph, with Draymond, with Looney, but are you looking forward to getting a chance to play with guys like Peyton and Juan Toscano-Anderson yeah. and Jonathan Kaminga? Yep. Um, Moses, Otto, Nemanja, we have such a great team. Um, it gives me, 
it reminds me of 2015 so much as far as just the depth and the strength of our second unit and guys who fit in our system so well. And I'm Jordan Poole, I'm so excited to play with these guys because I've seen them putting the work in and I see how much they love what they do. And I, I want to go out there and feed off that and they can feed off my performance as well. And I think it's just going to, you know, equate to greatness. How's the boat and do we have to call you Captain Clay? I am a captain, a sea captain. Add that to the LinkedIn resume. That took, that took a long time to master. If there was one silver lining from my rehab, it was being able to pick up a hobby. And uh, the ocean, my love for the ocean is only second to playing basketball. So um, the boat's doing well. I mean, I'll be taking her to games and practices in the next coming months. And it really did change my life. And it brought me a lot of happiness when there were some dark times for me. And finally, you know I'm a dog guy. We rescue dogs all the time. How's Rocco? Rocco's doing very well. He's in his ninth year of his bulldog life. Going to be 10 this spring. And wow. He, um, he's a great dog. He's been there with me almost my whole career. And uh, I love Rocco. And I don't think I'll ever get another English bulldog after Rocco. He's just hes too much of a legend. He's, too, he can't, he's, he's irreplaceable. He's uh, really my best friend. Happy New Year. Oh, thanks, Tim. So as we look forward to the comeback of Clay Thompson, let's pause for a moment right now as we continue with the Warriors podcast. Let's look back at some of those who passed in the year 2021. Let's take five to remember those who helped make this game great. Men like Stan Albeck, who made his mark as a coach starting in college and then was hired by the Denver Rockets as head coach in 1970-71. He would spend almost a decade there as an assistant coach before being hired by Cleveland. It was in San Antonio where he was head coach for three years where he would really make his mark. They made the playoffs in all three seasons, and he got to coach legends like George Gervin, Artis Gilmore, and the backcourt of Johnny Moore and James Silas. He had a profound impact on the Spurs. Here's San Antonio head coach Greg Popovich. Coach Albeck wasn't, you know, just important to the Spurs. He was what I call a lifer. People like myself don't come close to loving the game the way he did. And his whole family did. Uh, they participated in so many ways and followed him so many places. ABA, NBA, assistant coach, head coach. My gosh. Uh, he was an assistant for Wilt Chamberlain at one point and sometimes ended up coaching the games. He loved it. As a head coach, Stan Albeck helped in 334 wins for various teams. He died on March the 25th from complications of a stroke. Elgin Baylor passed on March 22nd due to natural causes. It is 14 seasons with the Lakers, first in Minneapolis, but mostly he played in Los Angeles with another pair of Hall of Famers, Jerry West and Will Chamberlain. Baylor was only 6 feet 5 inches. He was short for a forward even back then. But he played above the rim and had this incredible ability to twist his body midair. It was a style that up until that moment, the game had not seen. I don't know, because I, I never was conscious of it or even really, I don't, I'm not downgrading the players, but I never even thought about it, you know, what I was doing. Because when you play, and I'm sure he feels the same way, the defense is going to dictate to what you're doing, how he's guarding you. You know, sometimes you do something that you've never done before. You know, so you really don't know. And, I, you know, I don't know. There's nothing I practice on. I never go out there and try to practice different shots, maybe shoot free throws. But when I play, 
whatever you know, way the guys guard him, he's determined really the defense. If he's playing good defense, determine what you're going to do, what kind of shot you're going to take. You know, you don't go out there with this mind that you're going to do certain things because it doesn't really work. I, and you can't play that way. You shouldn't be playing that way. I, you should let the game, you know, come to you. Ironically, he retired as a Laker in the 71-72 campaign because of a knee injury. The Lakers would go on to finally win a championship, and they made sure they gave Baylor a ring. He would later become an executive in the league, mostly with the Los Angeles Clippers. He was Rookie of the Year in 1958-59, a member of the top 50 players of all time and the 75th anniversary team. He was an 11-time All-Star, 10-time All-League player, and entered the Hall of Fame in 1977. I lost a couple of NBA friends this year. One was Rick Bunnell, a friend of Warriors Radio, who had covered the Charlotte Hornets for the Charlotte Observer from the team's inaugural season in 1988. He died at the age of 63, his son confirming the death on June 1st, and it was presumed he died of natural causes. He had more than 11,000 bylines in the paper, and as Scott Fowler of the Observer wrote, Bunnell didn't just have institutional knowledge. He was an institution. And if you wanted an honest observation about players, look no further than Rick Bunnell. Here is Rick talking about Kemba Walker. He's good if he's if he's paired with the right people, and here's how I mean that. If you're gonna if you're looking for Kemba to be a you know very conventional ten assist kind of point guard, you're gonna be disappointed. He's going to be a scorer. He's going to be people who's going to be the guy who's going to be beat people off the dribble. He's getting become a better jump shooter. The Golden State Warriors public address announcer from 1982 through 2000 was Dick Callahan, and he died earlier this year. He also announced for the Oakland A's and the Cal Bears, though he did start his career at St. Mary's. He remembered his early days with the Warriors, including an audition. Actually, it was it was World B. Free and Lorenzo Romar. Uh, if you look down, yeah, he was, he yeah. was at, the second sub coming in. Yeah, exactly. Um, they were the two guys who, the, when I auditioned for the job okay. the day before, they were having a shoot-around in the Coliseum. And Romar and, and Free both went in to Bob Bester, who was okay. the general manager, and said, we listened, they had three guys out there auditioned for the job. This is the guy you should hire. Too many steps. Dick Callahan was 80 years old. Terrence Clark was a 19-year-old player from the University of Kentucky who had declared for the NBA draft, but he passed away after a car crash in Los Angeles following a workout. A Massachusetts high school star, he was expected to go pro, and he was honored by NBA Commissioner Adam Silver and the league on draft night. To all of those who knew and admired Terrence, please know that he will forever be part of the NBA family. It is my honor to now announce that with the next pick in the 2021 NBA Draft, the NBA selects Terrence Clark from the University of Kentucky. That was truly a special moment. Mark Eaton, the seven foot four Utah Jazz Center, died on May 29th in Summit County, Utah, at the age of 64, following a bike accident. He was a young player at UCLA playing in the summertime when a chance encounter with the great Wilt Chamberlain changed his life. Wilt grabbed me by the arm, took me out on the floor, 
positioned me right in front of the basket. He said, you see this basket? Your job is to stop players from getting there. Your job is to make them miss their shot, get the rebound, throw it up to the guard, let them go down the other end and score it, and your job is to cruise up to half court and see what's going on. Mark Eaton would play 11 years in the NBA, 11 years with the Utah Jazz. He would lead the league in blocks multiple times, and he's the all-time career leader at 3.5 blocks per contest. A two-time All-Star, five-time All-Defensive Player, and a Defensive Player of the Year. He would stay with the game as the head of the Players Association, and he was held in respect league-wide. Here's TNT's Kenny Smith. A class act, uh, seven for four gentleman, but a tenacious rebounder, tenacious shot blocker, and then you get off the court, he'd, he'd shake your hand, brush your shoulder off for you if you needed something. Uh, obviously, playing in Utah, we, we played against them so many times in the playoffs. You know, as, as much as Stockton and Malone were the face of the Utah Jazz, so was Mark Eaton. Like, everyone associated him with the Utah Jazz. Mark Eaton's number was retired by the Jazz. Bob Ferry played and coached in the league, drafted by his hometown St. Louis Hawks. But he made his true mark as an executive with the Washington Bullets from 1973 through 1990. He hired Casey Jones as head coach in 1973, putting in motion the first pro sports championship series with two African-American head coaches when the Bullets met the Warriors in 1975 with Al Adels leading Golden State to their first West Coast championship. Ferry would lead the Bullets to their only title back in 1978. Now Seattle will inbound. It'll be Silas to do the honors. Sigma, Dennis Johnson, Webster, and Freddie Brown. Brown is down low, trying to get open. They give it to Dennis Johnson. He'll spin the left side to the corner. Long jumper off the back of the rim. Unsell the wrong rebound. Shovels to Dandridge. Warm up the fat lady. Warm up the fat lady. The bullets are going to win. Three seconds, two, one second. There it is. For the first time in 36 years, Washington, D.C. has a major sports world champion. Bob Ferry's son, Danny, also played in the NBA as well as becoming an executive. Bob Ferry passed away at the age of 84 on October 27th. Shaler Halliman passed away on April 19th at the age of 76. A first-round pick of the Philadelphia 76ers in 1968, he would also play for Chicago, the original Portland Trailblazers, the Atlanta Hawks, and the Dallas Chaparrales of the ABA, the present-day San Antonio Spurs. Halliman had enrolled in junior college after a great high school career, and he was being heavily recruited by colleges around the country. So why did he go to Utah State? Because from that, from the junior college tournament, I was the MVP of the tournament, and I was the college player of the year in, in junior college that year. So... I had all kinds of offers. I mean, when I say offers, I mean from everywhere you name, I had. He left Dale Brown there to recruit me. So Dale goes, he's in Palm Springs, that's where he lives. So Dale goes and he takes, he's recruiting me every day. He's recruiting me like three days a week. He's coming down, he's coming down. And every time he comes down, he's trying to sell me on Utah State. And I said, Coach, I said, there's a lot of schools that offer the same thing you are offering. I can go anywhere I want to go. And he said, I'll tell you what. He says, I know everybody's trying to sell you on this school. He says, what I want you to do is tell me what you want. And I, that was the question. Nobody asked me what I wanted. 
Shaler Halliman in his speech on being inducted into the Utah State Hall of Fame. The legendary Dale Brown would go on to LSU to coach Shaquille O'Neal. James Hardy, one of the best athletes ever out of Long Beach, passed away late in December because of a heart attack. He was 64 years old, originally from Alabama. And after high school, he would arrive in San Francisco along with Bill Cartwright to help the USF Dons to the number one ranking in the country in 1976-77. He earned All-America honors and was inducted into the USF Hall of Fame in 2017. The longtime voice of the Dons, is Pat Olson. USF legend Bill Cartwright had this to say about James. We won a lot of games together and climbed to number one in the nation. But everyone would always remember that one spectacular play James made every game that you might not see again. He was a scorer, a rebounder, shot blocker, and we all wish we were as gifted as he was. Hardy was drafted by the New Orleans Jazz in 1978, the 11th overall pick after his junior year. He would play with the franchise for four seasons, including moving to Salt Lake City, where they became the Utah Jazz. He played pro basketball overseas for another eight years before retiring in 1990. Jerry Harkness passed on August 24th, and before he became an NBA player, he was well-known, helping the Loyola Ramblers to the national championship in 1963. That year, in the second round of the NCAA tournament, they played Mississippi State who defied their governor's order to not play a team that had four black starters. It has gone down in history as the game of change. Everybody kind of thinks that, hey, we shook hands at the end of the game, we shook it at the beginning of the game, and we made history, and that's it. But that's not it, because the, the captain, Joe Dan Gold of Mississippi State, and I became real good friends. And uh, we found out we had a lot more in common. Harkness would play one year with the New York Knicks and then two years with the Indiana Pacers of the ABA, and he would settle down in Indianapolis. As for the game of change, it foreshadowed his post-basketball career as a civil rights activist. Boston Celtics guard Sam Jones died December 30th at the age of 88. He played from 1958 through 1969 for Boston, winning 10 titles and drawing a reputation as a go-to guy. It's not about my number being called. My number was called many, many times before. It's called by Red Auerbach. And it, it, when your coach calls your number, you know he depends on you. And it seemed like in all the big games that we needed, I knew I was going to get the ball because even my players – thought I should have the ball and we had some other shooters that I just thought that should be able or would get the ball also like John Havlicek who was a great shooter great basketball player very intelligent I liked his teammate Larry Siegfried uh, I like Bailey Howell that any of us could have taken that shot but I just knew my number was going to be called because that is what I enjoyed, not being called Mr. Clutch. I just believed that my teammates were going to get me free. For 12 years, we used the same play. We never changed them, and nobody could stop them. Sam Jones was a five-time All-Star, a three-time All-League player, and a member of the 50th and 75th anniversary teams, and, of course, a Hall of Famer. He had really no regrets except for one run-in with Will Chamberlain. 
put my elbow into his solar plexus and I heard him grunt. Ugh. And as I was coming back on the court, he was coming after me with his left hand. And I knew that was not to shake my hand because he's right-handed. And I knocked this photographer off his stool. I picked up the stool and I reached back to hit Wilton. By that time, the whole bench on both teams had emptied and Russell was in front of Wilt. Wilt was looking over his shoulders, pointing at me and saying, Sam Jones, I'm gonna make you eat the stool. And I was saying, Wilt Chamberlain, I'm gonna crack your kneecaps. Well, anyway, that got over. The next night we played in Philadelphia. And so Wilt Chamberlain told me, he says, don't come into the paint tonight. And uh, you know, being a smart aleck, I said, well, I'm gonna come in there. The first time I got the ball, I went in for a layup. He did not try to block the ball at all. He blocked my body. He put me flat on my back, and I remember him coming and getting close to me and saying, the next time you come in here, I'll knock you flat on your butt again as he was picking me up. And I says, I won't be back. <laughs> and that old night, I did not come back into the paint. After pro basketball, Sam Jones became a coach, an athletic director, and a teacher. Don Coach has had a 12-year NBA career after becoming a star at Marquette. The six foot eight forward played for six teams, averaging 12 points and five rebounds. His best seasons were in San Diego, where he was a two-time All-Star. On the San Diego Rockets at forward, his sixth year in the NBA, playing in his second All-Star game at 6'6", 220 pounds, Don Coges. But it was off the floor where Marquette's all-time leading rebounder had the most impact, as he explained on a trip back to Milwaukee. Ladies and gentlemen, Don it's nice to see your your banner up there and your picture and everything else. It's nice to see that. It, it really is. Uh, I think other things I have done in in my life, you know, uh, go beyond that. Uh, I started a Catholic camp in uh, in uh, San Diego. We've been running that for 37 years for kids and families and everything. And we see all the lives being changed with kids camps, uh, family camps. Uh, and now we've been doing um, special needs camps. Certainly a life well lived by Don Coges. Bob Slick Leonard was a very good college player helping Indiana to a national title. He was drafted in 1954 but didn't join the Minneapolis Lakers until after the Korean War. It was coaching where he made his mark, leading the Indiana Pacers from the ABA in 1968 through 1980, four years after the two leagues had merged. Leonard was always fiercely proud of his ABA days. There's players, they, they talk about the ABA like we're a minor league to the NBA. Well, I played in the NBA, and that's not true. If you want to go back and look at the players we ended up with in the ABA before the merger, you're looking at Moses Malone, you're looking at the Iceman, George Gervin, you're looking at Dr. J, Julius Irving, I can go on, Dan Issel. By the time the merger came, we had the players, and they needed our players as bad as we needed them. That was Slick Leonard at his Hall of Fame induction speech. After coaching to 573 wins, he would stay on with the Pacers, working with Mark Boyle on their radio coverage. The shot clock is at six to the left wing. Renzi, four, three. Slick Leonard passed away at the age of 88. 
Stan McKenzie died this year at the age of 76. He was drafted by the Washington Bullets in 1976. He found out because someone left a sticky note on the door of his dorm room. He spent a year with the Bullets and then played for the Suns for two years and Portland for two more before retiring. He would spend the rest of his life with the Episcopal Church helping with missionary work. Eric Mobley, a 6'11 center who starred at Pitt, died at the age of 51 suffering from cancer. He was drafted by Milwaukee and spent time with Vancouver in a three-year NBA career. Anthony goes left wing for Vancouver, and the Warriors playing superb here in the first quarter. They lead by nine. Bounce pass inside. In traffic, Abdurrahim was back on the floor. No good. Mobley missed the over the back, and he's called for the foul. Fuller half position. Mobley came right over the top and tried to jam it home, but he missed it. Mobley's career would last 113 games. Jimmy Fallon died in June of this year at the age of 92. He was a Philadelphia Warrior draft pick, the eighth round of the 1951 draft. He had played his college ball at LaSalle. The Korean War delayed his debut until the 1953-54 season, where he played only four games. He wanted to go in a different direction. His college coach, Ken Leffler, had an idea. Uh, I came up to the office one day, and he threw me a paper. He said, uh, said, you want a job? And I said, where? He said, it's a small school. He said, a beautiful place down there in, in Western Maryland, down near Gettysburg. And he said, I think it would be a great place to work. He said, the problem you're going to have is that you're going to go there, you're going to have success, you're going to love it, and you're never going to leave. It's been a great tenure for me here at at the Mount. And uh, I remember it was meant to be a stopping off place, but (laughs) I never left. (laughs) He would stay at Mount St. Mary's University for 49 years, 830 wins. 2008, he was inducted into the College Basketball Hall of Fame. Wayne Radford's NBA career lasted one year for the Indiana Pacers before settling near Bloomington, where he was always around his college program. As an Indiana kid, he was recruited by Bobby Knight to IU, where he learned to love the intense practice routine. One thing that I can tell you is I learned a lot from them. I thought they were my parents because they... Punished me in practice. And I used to ask Aber and Greeno when I was a freshman, is it always like this? And Greeno says, man, these guys love you. I said, they have a hard way and a tough way of proving it, but it makes you grow and learn and understand what Indiana basketball is all about. And I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Radford was only 64 years old. Earlier this year, on November 26th, we found out that the Warriors team doctor, Dr. Elliot Schwartz, had passed away. He was one of the most respected and admired medical professionals in the sports world, and the impact of his death was felt by many different players, many different sports, many different teams. For myself, it was always great to see Dr. Schwartz in the hallway, always smiling, always with a kind word, always wanted to know what was going on with our radio broadcast. He was a friend. And our sympathy went out to his wife, Patty, and his son, Nathan. And in the Warriors press release, it was summed up perfectly. He'll be missed more than words can describe. Well, Seku Smith knew about words. He was a friend of Warriors Radio and a longtime NBA correspondent, a beat writer for the Pacers and the Hawks beat before moving to NBA.com and NBA TV. He died at the age of 48 from COVID. Matt Weiner gave this heartfelt tribute on NBA TV on January 25th. Unfortunately, tonight we are feeling the full brunt of some really devastating news that seems incomprehensible for us. 
family here at NBA TV, NBA Digital, and Turner Sports learned this afternoon that our friend and colleague Seku Smith has passed away. He joined NBA.com in 2009. You've seen, heard, and read him over the years on the Hangtime podcast, his MVP ladder, essays, interviews, analysis here as well. He was a journalist, journalist, curious, skeptical, endearingly cranky, always passionate about the subject matter he loved the most and would talk to you about forever if you let him, sports. More importantly, a devoted husband and father and a great friend to so many of us around here. And guys, I'm, I'm running out of words. Fortunately for all of us, Sekou never ran out of words. He had a passion for the NBA, and it came through in his writing, in his interviews, in his television work. Sekou is missed every single day on the NBA beat. Ed Solomon was drafted by the Philadelphia Warriors in the fifth round in 1953. He died in February of 2021. He averaged over 34 points a game one year for West Virginia Tech, but decided to work for Caterpillar Industries rather than go to pro ball. He was 90 years old. Hawthorne Wingo came out of Friendship Junior College to play for the New York Knicks, and the highlight of his career was in his rookie year, where the Knicks won the 1973 NBA title. And he loved being honored with his teammates 40 years later. It means everything because uh, it was my first and only championship, you know, because after being with the Knicks after that for like four years, I went to Italy. And over there, we won a couple, a couple of Della Cups, you know, which is like uh, the second major cup in Europe. But uh, this, you know, it was just with Italian guys. I didn't speak the language too well, so I, I couldn't appreciate it like being around the guys that I know, you know, here. He was a crowd favorite at Madison Square Garden, lasted only four years in the NBA, as he said. And after a long bout with pulmonary disease, he passed away at the age of 73. Paul Westfall, who was also a friend, was drafted by the Boston Celtics with a 10th pick in 1972, coming off the bench for Boston in his first four years. But his career took off after a trade with the Phoenix Suns. And as a son, he would face his former mates in the 1976 NBA Finals. Westfall showed his smarts by using a rule to his team's advantage with one second left in the second overtime, down by one point. And we were out of timeout. So what I figured was we have the ball under the basket. There's almost no chance to throw the ball the length of the court and catch a ball and turn and shoot it in one second. So our only chance is to, is to take the ball at half court and inbound the ball. Then it's a shorter pass. You have a chance to get it, turn and shoot, and, and, and maybe score. But the problem was the only way you can advance the ball to half court is to call a timeout. And we didn't have any left. So then I just thought to myself, what's the penalty for an illegal timeout? And the penalty is that it's a technical foul, but you still get the ball at half court. So I said, if we, we can either lose by one and not take the timeout, or we can risk having the technical and be down by two, but still we could tie the game. So I just figured that, it, that the penalty was not worse than the uh, reward, so I just called the timeout. One second remaining in the second overtime. Here's Perry. To Gar Hurd. Here's the jump shot. Good! It's good! It counts! Gar Hurd ties it! We'll go to the third overtime. I gotta take a breather. Garfield Hurd made the basket. I want to tell you something. 
somebody up there is on our side. And just fully so. We will go to the third amazing overtime period. Talk all the time about how Stephen Curry has changed the game now. Well, Paul Westfall changed the rule. After that, if you called an illegal timeout, you would lose possession of the ball as well as a technical foul. Paul passed away in January at the age of 70, a victim of brain cancer. He was a five-time All-Star and a four-time All-NBA player. That's our look back at those who passed in 2021 and those who contributed to the game. And whether big or small, heavy minutes or light minutes, many years in the league, or just a few games, they all had an impact, helping shape the game we love. That's our Warriors podcast for this week. I'm Tim Roy. I want to thank R.C. Davis and James Kincaid for their incredible work on this, and we hope that you enjoyed it. Keep it right here wherever you're listening to your podcast because another one's going to be coming your way sometime soon.